Hello and welcome to the Baldy Center for Law and Social Policy podcast. I'm your host, Logan. On this week's episode, we are joined by Professor of Practice in Sports Law, Helen Nellie Drew, Director of the UB Center for the Advancement of Sport, along with her students, Maddie Drexel, Matt Pickard, and Juliet Miranda. We discuss the ins and outs of their current research projects and why their research is desperately needed within the world of sports. From emergency action plans to youth sports injuries, we dive deep into their interdisciplinary research and learn more about the holes that are currently found within sports law. Well, thank you everyone for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. I wanted to first start off with having everyone introduce themselves and talk about your academic journey. I drafted them. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm Nellie Drew. I'm the director of the Center for the Advancement of Sport at the Law School. Also practice in sports law. I run the sports law concentration. And they they were naive enough, I guess, to take my sports law classes. And I kind of pitched it to them. Uh, a couple of things that, well, it was, I think, sort of mutual. But you guys were definitely just playing initiative. So when we had sports talk a lot too, which is a class that we had last last spring, we do a virtual expansion of the NFL and we do various things. But as part of every class, we talk about current issues in sports. And one of the things that I'm involved with is um, Project Play Western New York, uh, which is in um, the Wilson Foundation, Community Foundation of Great Buffalo, uh, which is very much invested in developing best practices that we distill down from like, the savers and the bills to try to make activity in recreation, recreational activities, the most rewarding, the safest we possibly can. And as part of that, I have connected many times with um, Dr. John Liddy, Dr. Barry Willer, who are concussion experts here at UB, the Women Concussion Clinic, as well as Dr. Les Besson, who is the Buffalo Sabres and Bills team physician, who you probably know, is the guy who saved Mark Hamlin's life. Um, so they're very much interested in reinventing policy. So to, to provide a safer, more equitable experience for people, particularly uh, youth sports. And so we mentioned this in class discussions and they were like, we would like to be part of that. So uh, we're fortunate to have the practicum and uh, under the umbrella of the practicum, uh, many have been since last spring on this uh, initiative and I'm let them describe it more fully, this initiative to uh, provide uh, a model law which provide which would um, require greater protection for sport at all levels for a variety of different reasons. And Juliet had a particular interest in uh, injuries resulting from um, chronic overuse, which is a major issue we're seeing now with sort of the professionalization, if you will, of these sports. That's really interesting. And I'm not sure if we want to go right to left or left to right. Let's start. Um, thanks so much for having us here today. My name is Maddie Drexel. I'm originally from Potsdam, New York, so more upstate, and I did not go to UB for undergrad. I went to Queen's University in Canada, then after college, worked for a few years at a law firm, which ultimately led me to want to attend law school. And as Professor Drew said, um, just being in her classes, Sports Law 1 and Sports Law 2, we would always just talk about current happenings in sports, and that's kind of what brought us here today. So I'm excited to be here. Hi, I'm Matt Pickard. I started off my undergrad at Syracuse University, where I played soccer for a year. And then I decided I didn't want to play anymore, so I transferred back home to Buffalo and went to UB. And then graduated with a finance degree. Well, I guess I was a physical therapy major. And then after sophomore year, switched to finance. And then I think junior year during the winter, didn't know what I wanted to do, so decided to take the LSAT to go to law school. 
and then ended up at UB Law, and then fall semester of two all year, took sports law one with Professor Drew, and then spring semester sports law two with Professor Drew, and then like she said, during that spring semester, just like class discussions and some of her pitching and our interests kind of led us to inquiring about some of the opportunities she had for practicum and experiential stuff. So then we ended up here and doing uh, working on what we are now. Hi, I'm Juliette Miranda. I graduated from New York University in 2021 with a bachelor's in science and social work. And then I decided that I wanted to go to law school my sophomore year of college. So I did a lot of research and I decided that UB Law would be the best choice for me. My brother lives in Buffalo. I'm originally from Westchester County, but my brother was here and I absolutely loved it when I visited him. So I decided that this would be a good opportunity for me. But you can't tell via podcast, but I am six foot. I come from a very large family. My brother's six foot six. You know, we're all massive in our family. So obviously we had to play sports, but no, I didn't play basketball. I refused to because everybody told me I should. So I didn't. <laughs> so that wasn't for me. Exactly. So I ended up playing volleyball and I also ran track, but I had a wide array of injuries, especially with poor alignment I had in my ankles going to my knees. So that also led to my interest specifically with youth injuries. Now, I know you all touched upon how you met Professor Drew. I was wondering if you could dive more deeply into what your projects are about and your roles within those and your specific interests within that research. So for me and Matt, we're working on drafting a model law aimed at incentivizing sports venues to implement emergency action plans. So this includes outlining both the equipment that should be on hand as part of an emergency response, and we're calling them kits, is what we're working on building out, and then a procedure for how to respond to these medical emergencies. Yeah, AEDs we're focusing on, EpiPens, uh, heat stroke, heat illnesses, overall just like stretching. Concussions. Uh, Yeah, concussions. And then basically we're breaking them down and looking at the, like how often they occur to start with. And then the cost of preventing them, and then also the cost of recovery and uh, after a concussion or after a heart uh, incident, like Demar Hamlin, how much it costs to recover. Yeah, so we're basically trying to show like the cost-benefit analysis of how this would benefit anyone that would yeah, be subject to it. And then in support of the model law, we're writing a white paper, and our research is kind of assessing what he just said, whether this would reduce the number of injuries and decrease the cost associated with those injuries. And we basically just split up the research kind of in half and then kind of are marrying it as we go through. But part of my interest in just this research in general is a lot of where we start is pro sports and college sports and organized competitions, which is very important. And there's a lot of data for that. But it's also once you start thinking of all the levels and venues that it affects, you realize it could affect anyone. It could affect your daily life like me I go spinning a couple times a week now I'm like where's the AED at my spin studio like it it really can affect the average person that's not a professional athlete or attending a huge sporting event so I think that's kind of that drives home the importance of what we're looking at and how it can affect youth sports and once you start doing the research you realize there it's more common than the public realizes so that kind of the numbers we're seeing drives home the need for this and, and again, too, in regards to like the AEDs, Press Drew had a friend who was just tailgating for a Bills game and got there and was outside the stadium and was there and all of a sudden had a cardiac arrest. And luckily, you know, emergency personnel was very close that so they could help him and stuff. But, but you know, it doesn't just happen on the field to players. It affects the fans and the spectators and, you know, mom and dad and stands that are mm-hmm. there to watch. And Julia, if you could provide an overview of your project as well. 
Sure. So I'm writing a paper specifically regarding player injury mitigation in youth athletes as well, specifically from elementary all the way to high school. So my paper is proposing the necessity for a mandated program for youth athletes and coaches as well to provide just basic training to understand signs of overuse injuries being displayed in the specific sport of focus. And from that, it would instill injury risk mitigation strategies to youth based on their position. So the program proposes mandated stretching, injury prevention, and mobility training before and after training sessions, games, and pre-post and during season as well. But since it's such a big topic, so for brevity purposes, my paper only hones in specifically on elbow injuries in youth pitchers specifically as an example for the necessity of the program. So for elbow injuries in youth, it's usually called Little League Elbow. And around 44% of the youth who played a sport played baseball in 2022 suffered an elbow injury. And 47% of youth baseball players will experience arm pain of varying severity. So that could lead to just general discomfort, or it could lead later on to surgery. And specifically, I'm proposing this program because there are massive socioeconomic barriers that are getting in the way. Um, so for example, in 2022, an inflated number, roughly, an individual can save last year an average of $2,000. And like, that is highly inflated because obviously there's people that's saving a lot more and a lot less, if any at all. And the average cost of an x-ray is around $4,000 without insurance or copay. How are people paying for that? So if a youth gets injured and they're having elbow pain, how are they going to get the x-ray if they can't afford it, let alone physical therapy, surgery, or anything else aside from that? It's impossible. So then all of a sudden the youth can't play their sport anymore or they fight through the injury causing further lifelong pain. So this program is hopefully created to mandate these preventative programs to be able to help youth so that they don't have to deal with pain and hopefully they won't have to get those further needed care and expenses as well. Now, as you speak more about each of your projects, I'm hearing more and more areas of overlap. Has there been any collaboration between your project, Matt and Maddie, with your project, Juliet? Or what has that process looked like? What is that collaboration? We haven't worked, I guess, directly together, but there definitely is overlap as far as, like, I know, like, one of our main things is stretching, and especially, like, in baseball. I know, like, you've been looking at, like, Tommy John stuff, Mm -hmm. and that's a huge thing is, like, proper stretching, proper warming up, and that just, like, goes in regard to any injury, especially ACLs. You know, the cost of an ACL from, you know, diagnosis to surgery to physical therapy to all the recovery is, you know, it's thousands and thousands of dollars versus, I mean, stretching is free. It doesn't cost you anything to stretch and take 10 minutes before you exercise to, you know, stretch and warm up properly and to prevent these injuries from happening. And, you know, something that's free can negate, uh, you know, a massive cost to the families or if you're in college, the colleges. Um, so there's definitely overlap there in that regard. It's, it's education. You know, yeah. for this is pushing out information. Again, getting back to the point that we have this information from the best possible resources in the, the NHL and the NFL are very well funded. And so they know very, very well how to avoid bad outcomes. And so why wouldn't we take that information, distill it down, push it out to be other people and make it more broadly available? And I think the lower you implement it at the youth sports, then it eventually those young athletes become college athletes and pro athletes. I think starting lower, it kind of implements it through the system. So. Now, for your research, was there a particular event or a particular sport that really piqued your interest or that you wanted to focus on more specifically that really drew you into your project? 
How did that go about for you guys? I would say Damar Hamlin would be the tip of the iceberg for us for that. And we were, again, in her class last spring after that happened, that kind of sparked those conversations with his injury and his incident. And as I said earlier, like you read about the big name and then you start doing the research and there's so many other instances that have happened. And so we're trying to be as broad as we can. And that's actually a kind of an issue that we're dealing with right now is how to present all of this information in a cohesive way. Um, and we, we keep expanding the venues and then the types of sports and for different sports, there's different injuries and different specifics to the venue. So it's, it's becoming very broad, but yeah. So it started with kind of just football. And then obviously there's certain sports that have more data available, but we're trying to kind of pull it all together and be as broad as we can. We would mention something just the other day that we were, we were thinking of that we hadn't thought of before, right? Like, like skiing. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, each of them, the, the challenges are all venue specific. So Manny Man did a great job of breaking down the various types of venues you might be looking at, but each of them have their own peculiarities. And one of the biggest sort of no-brainers, I think, that occurs to us is that it's not that much, again, it's not that expensive for each particular type of venue to put together some sort of um, thought-out plan and response. You know, there is an emergency, who is going to respond? How are they going to access the venue? You know, if it's a field or an arena or whatever, what, what, what role are various people have? Uh, in particular, respect the Demar uh, Hamlin incident, there are like three things that tell you that you need to be able to do um, and to respond to a cardiac incident, and, you know, somebody's got to call 911, somebody's got to start CPR, right? And, and somebody's got to run and get the AED. It, it took me what? Less than 10 seconds to say that. Mm -hmm. So it takes, you know, five minutes, really, for someone to talk about those things in a specific sense. And you say, you're a good person to do that, you're a person to this, you're a person to the other thing. But that's all you really need. It's a, it's a no-brainer. But in the moment, if it's an emergency and nobody's had that conversation, it doesn't happen. In the issue, too, I feel like it's just there's no regulation on a lot of the things that, which is why we're creating this model law and this paper, is that there's no regulation on a lot of these things. And since we're kind of starting from nothing and from the beginning, we want it to be as good as we can if, if it's a model law, but then it's just the process of fine-tuning every little piece. Now, could you explain to me what a model law looks like or is? You're talking about how expansive your research is or how broad the research topic is so is this deliverable going to be a thousand pages you know what does this look like for you both in your oh, no. <laughs> i was gonna say maybe but no it's literally just a i guess document that a page, one one to five pages let's say one to ten mm -hmm. at the most well, for the model for the model yeah the model and what we didn't mention is we you know, both of these papers are going to be submitted to um the sports analytics program at, at mit sloan um because that, that's kind of also was sort of what was driving this was trying to come up with project ideas for that but essentially a model law is just a it's a, a, a form that each of the 50 states can choose to adopt that will provide um sort of plug and play if you will um, and, and so the challenge is to incorporate, as I said, elements of each of the aspects we're talking about, concussion management. Um, we're having discussions with some some people from the American Heart Association when they added to it, ironically enough, bleeding, a tourniquet kit. Yeah. And just this is right before that poor that, that incident with a poor young man in England who died from a skate cut, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a, that was like a no-brainer day yeah. in the kit. Okay. Um, so so all of these things we provide the background and the white paper supporting it. We'd like it to make it such, such a like a no-brainer that it will be accepted and, and passed across as many states as possible. And it's interesting in doing the research about what other states have done. Like it might be the DeMar law for New York state, but other states have 
other laws named after other like so there are it's it, happening it's, across 50 states where it, there's it, accidents levels. like that and and, and it takes it actually very nicely into juliet because you know everybody's got a bad coach story everybody and i've got lots of kids so i've got lots of bad coaches stories not because they're bad people well you know they're usually volunteers who mean very well the fact of the matter is oftentimes they're not trained well uh, they don't have the best information and with bad things can happen right um and, and i know you've had a few like that Absolutely. So the New York State Education Department actually only requires coaches to have first aid, CPR, and AED training. That's it. So you can and go online. High school. Yeah. Right? High school. Yes. And you can go online and you can find resources for that. But you can't find any resources for basic mobility and strength training. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so for me, I definitely had a lot of biases coming into this project just because of my own experience, friends, a lot of um, my brother was an ex Division One baseball player. He played baseball. And he had a persistent elbow injury that eventually led him to the cessation of his career because he couldn't keep up to the level that he needed to. And because of that, he actually ended up becoming a doctor of physical therapy, studying and figuring out all of these details that actually could have made him better. And he's like, if I just would have known this younger, I could have potentially been much better at the sport and not had to quit in the way I did. And I, it's not just him. It's it happened to me too. I mean, I have constant knee pain and it's just, I've never got the help that I needed. My coaches couldn't help me and they didn't have the training to. So it's not their fault. They're busy people. Most of them have a bunch of other jobs, kids, lives. So I can't fault them for that. But if we do have a mandated program, hopefully we can start preventing these issues and hopefully people will be healthier and happier and being able to play sports in whatever level they want to, whether they want to go pro to give them that opportunity, or if they don't just to play and have fun and not have lifelong pain down the line. That's why we need a program. We need a program that's taught by athletic trainers, doctors of physical therapy and surgeons, all with industry specific knowledge in that sport to help the youth so that they can really succeed in whatever sport they choose to without injury. You know, your generation, I think, was more the brunt of, you know, play one sport 12 months a year. I'm guilty, too. You know, by the time my, my oldest and my youngest, we went from playing at virtually every sport, you know, whatever the season was, to my younger kids played pretty much one or two sports. And and the repetitive motion injuries are just, well, you've got the data. It's, it's ridiculous. The nature of your research, obviously is very interdisciplinary. So what does your collaboration with other departments or schools, like School of Public Health and Exercise Science, is there any collaboration there or? We're actually we're trying to work right now. So the, the consult with uh, Ron Krasanowicz, who heads the athletic training program here at UB. Um, we've already we've been collaborating with people from UBMD. Mm-hmm. Um, we shared some with our friends over at uh, Dan Analytics, their, their thoughts as well. So yeah, it's just been a the comprehensive effort, and I'm sure there's more to come. Yeah, even the UB librarians have been helping oh, us with our, with our research, and I don't know it's just funny that more people that see it, like we get new ideas and I think more feedback. different angles has been really helpful. Meeting with the people from the American Heart Association, they're I think working on something similar. Yeah, that that was fascinating, wasn't it? Because so, like, when I talk about that, maybe have there, there's some of their their challenges. Yeah, they were telling us about the Cares Project, which is an app. Kind of like a, a way to streamline a, an AED response. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah. For so, data like, tracking as well. Yeah, it's like yeah. social media to, to what you're sort of crowdsourcing uh, first aid. Is that yeah. Because you think about, I mean, again, one of the challenges of use force is it's decentralized, right? And there's no overarching governing body. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, even the ones that are, some of them maybe like clubs that are related to national governing bodies, but they're not 
under anybody's direct supervision and there's no collaboration. And even with CARES and part of it was like, my first question was, can you tell us, can you identify for us how many cardiac events occur at Highmark Stadium inside and outside the stadium? And they were like, well, not really. And I'm like, huh? And they're like, well, no, we really can't. Why? Well, because they, they have different, report. yeah, they have different, what do they say? Different um, response EMTs, yeah. inside and outside the stadium. And the ones outside the stadium may or may not participate in CARES. They're not required to by law. And it's like a no-brainer to have it, yeah, to require reporting in the law because CARES exists. So why wouldn't you want to centralize that data so you have the information? Because, I mean, we haven't come across anything yet, I don't think, that even says one of the things we've been struggling with is like, how many AEDs do you need to have? Is it by number of people present? Is it by, you know, capacity, capacity yeah. or number of, like, I don't know how many will be more of them at a hot bills game than a, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so many things to go into that. And like the carries people too had said that you had asked about um in capacity and they said that that wasn't a factor. Right. For that, which we thought was like kind of they said a, distance a, to the AED, but and then that's a that major challenge because what was the what they, was so they thing? had well I know I don't know if it's just statistic, but they had that app that Maddie was talking about too. They Maybe had it's not they, the CARES app. It might be called something. So like the, yeah. I think CARES use or either is creating an app or they have an app that basically is like a map of AEDs on the app. So on the app you could see where AEDs were and that's also part of our issue with the AEDs, not an issue, our, one of the initiatives, I guess, basically with the AEDs is how to notify people where they are. So whether it be, you know, an announcement for the football game or signs or a flashing blue light or whatever it may be. And I know too, last semester when we were talking about like the AEDs notifications, uh, we reached out to the engineering school, I believe, yeah. too, to inquire about maybe ways to manipulate the AED device to when someone needed to, well, almost like a fire alarm that you could pull something in and it would sound off. Or you, you, or you ideally you call 911 and report a cardiac event and then uh, operator pushes a button and the AED light starts flashing, making noise. And then, you know, because one of the challenges is, okay, where do you put them? And I said, stupidly, well, maybe, you know, between the gym doors. I'm like, no, no, because the doors are open, you won't see it. But isn't there like, is there some kind of a uniform place where, you know, there's so much of this that seems like it's just basic common sense. And like with the AEDs too, the, you know, it's easy to, in a building to have a flashing light, but when there's, you know, at a high school, a football game, a soccer game, and a cross-country meet all going on at the same time, you know, we can't just have them floating around in the middle. So, you know, that's part of the our plan we're trying to figure out now too is, you know, how do we have, you know, multiple people on golf carts driving around? Do we have it at certain set locations or where do we have them? Was it every minute you lose 10 percent isn't that what it was percent yeah every minute that there wasn't an AED being used you lose 10 percent of uh, surviving so which that adds up quick <laughs> yeah I and mean, so three minutes so the minute they, they goal is three minutes but that still has already taken you down to 70 percent chance to survive mm -hmm. which is you know and cool. the survival rate with an aed itself isn't even 100 no no so and i wanted to quickly touch on back to juliet's project what your final deliverable looks like so mine is definitely more niche. It's a very big topic, but because it's so big, I had to focus specifically mm -hmm. on one example just to be able to show how important this really is. So it's a paper. So I take the reader through the start of the injuries with youth and then also how that goes into adulthood as well. So if you don't catch it as youth, the paper slowly goes into saying, okay, here are all the issues that can happen into adulthood. And even if you are that little shoestring that makes it into the MLB, 
you can be, you can easily just end your career within a year because of your elbow injuries. Um, for example, this past season in the MLB, 153 players were out of the season because of an elbow injury. That was the biggest injury they had all mm-hmm. year. Can you imagine how much money that is? I think it's around 400 million in 10 years, if I'm remembering that correctly, just in the MLB alone. And they have the money to facilitate that. So could you imagine a parent trying to take care of their child and they don't have the facilities for that? So my paper does that. So it goes into when they're young, into when they get older, and then also the proposal of the program and the fact that it, I, I'm only a law student, so I don't have the knowledge that's needed, but professionals with industry specific knowledge in each specific sport should create a program and deliver that to the coaches and to the students as well so that they can grow and that they can pick up on common overuse signs in ways that they could take care of themselves to avoid that in the first place. To kind of add on to that too, with the amount of information that is available on the internet, like you were saying, you've looked, you've had to look up, but something like your paper or our project might eliminate some of the confusion about which method should I be choosing? What What's the best practice? Like we can establish the best practice to take some of the guessing out for parents and schools and other venues. So I think that's kind of important piece. That and just having everything in one spot. So, you know, it's not even so much for like the, the one-off parent who can go and look at what do I do when this happens. It's more so for like schools and universities and, uh, you know, national sports organizations, I guess, to go in and like implement plans based on our this information to then, you know, counteract any of the negative effects of the lack of knowledge that they might have had prior. And could you talk more about that timeline? So where you're at now and where's the finish line? Well, so we definitely have these published. My objective is to have a website mm-hmm. where we have all this information available at our state university, flagship university of New York State, that's worth something. And and having, you know, the sort of the UBMD imprimatur, um, it's also helpful. And then it will also help us push that out. But having this kind of like a, having the center be this this home for information that can be a resource. But if we have a, we have a, a site at the center for people, you know, from any anywhere can can access and understand these the, the essential components of things that you need to have to be safe. First of all, it's great for lawyers. Secondly, but more importantly, it's a wonderful thing as a policy matter. And, it, and as we've said with all the venues, it's going to be, we're going to try to address as many variables as we can, but each venue will have its own layout, own specifics, depending on the sport. So having kind of a central place where people can go to look and say, this is how it should be. And now I can tweak that for the needs of my facility, I think will be really yeah, good. Yeah, even something as simple as EpiPens, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, just having this conversation with my husband the other day, because some of his work is preparing um, school districts to install turf fields. And just anecdotally, we happen to know that, gee, turf fields seem to be great homes for wasps, right? So if you've got a football player out there who does not know that he's got an anaphylactic reaction to wasp stings, and he happens to get sung four or five times, you've got a major issue. Well, it's a no-brainer to have an epi in the field, you'd think, except we found out there's substitute prescription. So we got to figure a workaround for that. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's not like rocket science. So will these projects be wrapping up within the next year? We are all actually in our last year. So I I think our timeline is finishing up the papers this semester and then next semester trying to push them out, mm-hmm. um, get them published and work on build up getting the them website. Up, getting a law. Yeah. And build out the website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no line building up the website and getting resources lined up. Mm-hmm. Right? Working with third parties to try and get support. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, just reaching out even to like yeah. public, you know, whether it be different schools or organizations to kind of maybe get their feedback and see what they do and maybe even try to help help them implement something. Well, I thank you all so much for your time. I really appreciate being able to learn about your research and your ongoing projects. We really welcome the opportunity to do this. It's been a great project. I mean, I, yeah. I like about it. It's is, enjoyable. Yeah. It, it's, I feel like it's, you know, so much of teaching is, is you know, you hope you get the message across, but this is, I feel like we're actually accomplishing something. Mm -hmm. It's not like my, my hope in that they get it. It's them brainstorming, coming to me with ideas and putting them into, into actually into action, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. I would it was, agree that it's not just like a theoretical scholarly thing you're publishing. Mm -hmm. It's more of a physical, uh, practical topic that can help people. I mean, yeah. to draft a model law is a pretty cool experience. When we were starting to draft it with you, we were like, I don't know how to draft a model law then you do. Somebody you has. Yeah. Well, I definitely think that the research in your projects will generate lots of interest from those within and outside of the city of Buffalo, you know, being aware of the sports culture within the city of Buffalo. I definitely think that people will be very, very interested in, you know, reading and, and learning about the fruits of your labor from this research. Hopefully. Absolutely. No, it's truly wonderful yeah. to have the opportunity to be able to have this sort of experience in law school. Um, we take all of our general classes and I just never thought that I would have the opportunity to pursue an interest that I've had, but mm -hmm. I just, it's never come across. So I'm just, I'm very grateful to have this opportunity. Yeah, like, well, went on and was like, yeah, we can do this. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was Professor of Practice in Sports Law, Helen Nellie Drew, and her students, Maddie Drexel, Matt Pickard, and Juliet Miranda. And this has been the Baldy Center for Law and Social Policy podcast, produced by the University at Buffalo. Let us know what you think by visiting our Twitter, at Baldy Center, or emailing us at baldycenter at buffalo.edu. To learn more about the center, visit our website, buffalo.edu slash baldycenter. The theme music for this season was composed by Matias Omar. My name is Logan, and on behalf of the Baldi Center, thank you for listening.